This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Atomic Books, literary finds for mutated minds. It's like my go-to uh, like world calmer down tune. It's like um, that tune is like medicine for me. Um, and I listen to it a lot. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. jazz trumpeter Jamie Branch isn't shy about wearing her political stances on her sleeve, as evidenced by her willingness to call out America on her most recent album, Fly or Die Live, for being founded on genocide and racism, particularly on Prayer for America Part 1 and 2, in which her spoken word vocals address this directly. This doesn't mean that the music, however, is bludgeoning and abrasive, as you might expect it to be based on Branch's anger towards our current political climate. But instead, she addresses it through pieces that range from metronomic and heavily syncopated to polyrhythmic and traditionally beautiful. Fly or Die Live is available now from Chicago-based jazz label International Anthem. The first song Branch chose as being formative for her was Milk It by Nirvana.
Well, I chose this first song because I kind of had this had this thought that I'd try to bridge all my musical influences from being a little kid. And the uh, first band that I was like totally crazy about was Nirvana. Um, I vividly remember being like eight and nine years old and getting super excited uh, about Nirvana. It was like Nirvana or Pearl Jam at my school. You had to like pick sides, you know. <laughs> uh, and the tune, Milk It, is like, it was my choice, I think, for the like eighth grade mixtape or some shit like that. Um, but uh, it's still a great tune and it's kind of like the guitar lines and the solo in that tune are different than other Nirvana songs because they have like those like, it's like a splash of atonality, you know? Uh, and so I always gravitated to that tune before I knew what atonality was. And uh, yeah, it's still a jammer, you know? <laughs> it has like uh, that tension and release build up at the beginning and uh, does that throughout the tune. You, uh, I think, started playing um, music pretty pretty young, uh, I gather. Uh, so you were already playing music, but you were like what in school band or what was your what was your status? Uh, I was playing taking piano lessons, and um, I started playing in school band when I was nine years old. Yeah, so right right around then. And were you playing trumpet at that time or another instrument? I was playing trumpet. Yeah, that was like my first choice, and my parents not first choice <laughs> what, what did they want you to play uh i don't think my dad my dad low-key wanted me to play the trumpet i think because there's a long history in his family but my mom really wanted me to play like oboe <laughs> or a uh, clarinet i don't think she was so stoked on the uh, projection of the trumpet but you know whatever she got over it <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about that because um why why do the projection why why do you think that that she was against the trumpet well i say projection because that's what it's you know like you can really hit somebody with your sound if you project it at them but uh she just was like afraid of a loud instrument i think for example drums were completely off the table (laughs) were you uh assigned a trumpet or did you pick it out uh you could pick out you could try they had a day where you could go and like try a bunch of different instruments um, in the band room. And I chose trumpet and second choice was saxophone. I don't remember what third choice was. It was probably drums just for whatever reason. Um, And I really had to like uh, think about trumpet versus saxophone and I chose wisely, thankfully. So, um, you know, if you were were, uh, into Nirvana as a teenager and was there ever a chance that, you know, or a path not taken where you were going to be? I mean, I guess you've been in all sorts of bands, including bands that sort of verge toward rock music. But was there ever a chance you were going to, you know, pick up a guitar and do that? Or did that just not ever seem like an option? Oh, I did pick up a guitar. Um, just turns out that I'm terrible at guitar. Uh, I used to play, I had a guitar band in 2008, 2009 called Musket in Chicago, too. Um where I played, I played trumpet as well and keys and did some singing, but I played guitar and that. Shit. Um, no, I wanted to be a guitarist, man. I thought it was so cool. My first little kid bands were like trying to play guitar, but um, you know, I just never really took to the instrument, and I didn't have a natural ability on the guitar. And I think 
I think that's a tough thing. Like trumpet is like not very natural for a lot of people to start playing. And so a lot of people don't play it, but I felt that way about the guitar. I don't know. Um, I still have a guitar and I still make noise with guitar, but I'm, I would never call myself a guitarist. Uh, based on some of the, the past uh, interviews we've with folks we've had on the show, I know this is a, this is a fertile territory. Do you remember the names of some of your first like guitar bands? Flower Toad <laughs> was number one. Um, I can't really remember any others. Flower Toad was the only like practicing guitar band. Um, my first trumpet band though that I was in was Danny and the Ketchups. <laughs> Try to guess that genre. So you were in a ska band. Yeah, traditional third wave suburban ska band. Yep. <laughs> How long did that last? That lasted in, you know, I was a freshman and the old and the kids in the band were older. So it was like super fun uh, for a couple of years. And then when people were turning 18, they were like, we don't really need this 15 year old anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I, I uh, that was my first experience playing shows and uh, getting that adrenaline rush and high off of playing shows was definitely playing in like youth centers, you know as a kid with bands like Danny and the Ketchups and later some other bands <laughs> equally terrible names The second song Branch chose as essential to her formation as an artist was Advice to Medics by Sun Ra <laughs> Second song. Oh, second song is Sun Ra's Advice to Medics. Um, that's off an incredible album called Supersonic Jazz. And it's like my go-to uh, like world calmer down tune. It's like, um, that tune is like medicine for me. Um, and I listen to it a lot. Um, I was watching that documentary, A Joyful Noise, back in the day. And... Um, John Gilmore said that he had actually transcribed that whole track um, and it was really special to him. And that's what made me kind of like listen deeper to that tune. And like I, although I haven't transcribed it, I am under its spell as well. <laughs> At what point would you have uh, come across this? Uh, I would say like 2004, um, 2005. I was working at the Jazz Record Mart in Chicago starting in 2004. Um, so I, this is like, I, 
graduated college in December of 2005. So this is like my last couple of years of college. I had like discovered, quote unquote, I had discovered free jazz. It was me. Um, I have found free jazz um, in a real meaningful way and um, was like fully, you know, fully love Sun Ra, still fully love Sun Ra. <laughs> um, and at that point, you were feeling pretty committed to this is what you wanted to do, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Sun Ra is such a, a, a an interesting figure because it, the body of his music is so vast. And it's like, you know, he's been gone for 20 or 30 years now, and it seems like there's a new Sun Ra record every year, just like, you know, Elvis or Jimi Hendrix or something, except probably these are better. Um, do, do you feel like, do you feel like um, you have any kind of grasp of, of his work or, or do you think anyone can have a grasp of his work? I mean, we can have, uh, I think Marshall Allen has a grasp of his work. Um, I, uh, I think that we can know about timelines and we can know about records and stories, but you know, as close as I can get to the work is with my ears and, and um, a lot of that work. The reason why there's tapes and tapes and tapes that keep coming out is because the whole band lived together and recorded constantly, you know. So I don't think we could ever know what that is. Um, I do know that there's a lot of archives, Sun Ra archives at the Experimental Sound Studio in Chicago. Shout out. Um, and I think that... Um, I think that they're available for listening. Have you ever done? Have you ever done that? Have you ever lived with a band? Mm-hmm. I have. <laughs> um, my band Tusker lived together. The last of the ska bands. <laughs> we lived together in Chicago um, for a couple years. And so, how did that go? Well, we got kicked out of the first house we were in. Um, which was a shame because it was like a really great house and really cheap. Um, but we were a ska band and we liked to party. Um, and uh, the landlords would come by periodically and just not like what they saw. Um, so, you know, fairly, they did not renew at least. They did not take the option to have us back. Um, then we lived together in Logan Square in a house um, and that house actually blew up two weeks before my uh, senior recital. I I lived there when I wasn't in school. I'd taken some time off school for a second. Um, and my boyfriend at the time lived there. Um, and the, one of the other, like the whole band basically lived there. But anyway, the, uh, the landlord was one of those out-of-town landlords. And the uh, heat was both electric and gas. And one day, the electric gas clicked on and blew up. The, ga- uh, the electric heat turned on and blew up the gas heat. And so that was the end of that house. <laughs> was everybody okay? Everybody was okay. Um, yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, everybody was out of the house at that time. It was during the day. Everybody was at work, basically. Um, and most of the instruments were okay because they were in the basement, and the basement got hit a lot uh, less. It, it happened on the second floor in the bathroom. It's like a wild site, you know. They have those heaters in the bathroom. Just fucking blew up. Well, so um, uh, you know, I'm I'm 
I have to ask, you know, were the were the Tusker archives uh, saved? Not really, no. Uh, there's like a CD probably floating around somewhere. Uh, we did put out a CD, a self-release guy. Uh, CDR, I believe. <laughs> but yeah, I think the Tusker archives were mostly uh, taken out. <laughs> Final song Branch chose as being crucial to her was Aggression by Eric Dolphy and the Booker Little Quintet. song is like um is an eric dolphy record um well eric dolphy and book a little record at the five spot volume two and i just say that because i love both of these records but something about volume two like i feel like you know i've always thought about it as set one and set two and i'm not sure if that's actually true it might be different days but it's it's something about the way they enter on the beginning of the second record this tune aggression um Booker Little is just like, is on fire. The first solo he takes um, is just like rip roaring. It's it's uh, it's amazing uh, the freedom that he has. And this is, you know, to our ears now in 2020, maybe it doesn't sound free, but this is free music. Like, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, Eric Dolphy... Got, Eric Dolphy died so young, and Booker Little died even younger at 23 uh, from a blood disease called uremia. And uh, so this is like the, one of the last records of his playing before he got snatched away too soon. And Eric Dolphy was basically killed by racism in Germany because when he came in with um, diabetes, they, they assumed he was a junkie. And they just let him die. He just needed a shot of insulin. It's very sad story. Was uh, Booker Little one of your one of your trumpet models or or influences? Uh, yeah, big time, big time. Um, Don Cherry, Booker Little, um, Don Cherry, and Booker Little, and I guess Miles is my first influence, and then every everybody else. Um, kind of circles around those three those those three dudes can you kind of quantify a little bit of of uh, of what it is or qualify i guess what it is that you that you feel like you want to draw from each one of them because in a lot of ways they're they're pretty different players yeah um well miles miles is like the band leader and miles is like 
the Economy Awards. And Miles is like, um, I mean, he's Miles, you know. <laughs> he's Miles for a reason. Uh, he's a shapeshifter, you know. I love the record Birth of the Cool, and I love the record, like, Big Fun, you know. <laughs> um, and I pretty much love everything in between, too. Um, Miles is like, yeah, Miles has got that style. He's got, he's got that, he's got that, like, interjection. And Don Cherry is like, he also has that style, but it's so different. And Don Cherry's got this, like, uh, very uh, verbal way of playing, I'd like to think. Like, he, uh, uh, he's able to be, like, around the horn, but not just around the notes, also around the timbres, you know, and around in between the notes, you know. Don Cherry didn't just play in the 12 tones. He was in the Western music. He was, like, deeper than that. And um, Don Cherry is, like, the naturalness of playing. And the... In the uh, I mean, he was also a beautiful painter, I think, with his, with his horn and with his bands. He had some great bands, too. Um, especially those, like, 60s Blue Note records that he did with um, Henry Grimes. And um, one has Gato Barbieri, <laughs> and I think it's Ed Blackwell. Could be, I think it's Ed Blackwell. Um, all those records, man, those are killer. And then his later records too. I mean, he uh, he's he had a fun spirit, you know, and you hear that in his playing, and he could be playful. Yeah, Don Cherry is like also so important to me. And then Booker Little is the sound. And the trumpet, you know, like, master. More, I think, than Miles and and more than Don Cherry. He had this, uh, he had this, uh, this virtuoso ability on the trumpet, you know. I don't think anybody could deny that. And I think that if he had lived, we would have seen some incredible evolutions in the horn, on the horn, um, by the player, um, Book a Little was on one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he rips through lines. He's that fire. He's that, like, punch that I really like and appreciate and, and uh, hope to embody in some ways, you know. Right. Well said. You know, it's, it's interesting. The, the, the track that you picked in particular, uh, you know, uh, with the title, Aggression, and then, um, you know, like you mentioned, that especially that first solo of his, you know, I've known a couple of uh, uh, a couple of other trumpet players, and you know, sometimes they talk about sort of this, you know, this will, this um, you know, energy that you have to put out to to play trumpet, and it just seems like that, you know, while obviously players like Miles and and some other players are able to get a lot of delicacy out of it, um, there's this sort of I almost want to say macho thing about trumpet. Um, yeah, but you have to watch out for that because then you got to listen to Barbara Donald. I'm just going to stop you as you say that because because the sound and the like fire that you hear in Booker Little, check out Barbara Donald because she's got a similar thing going on, but it's full on free jazz. It's Sonny Simmons band. She she and Sonny were together for a long time. Um, 
and she's just like ripping lines with this like fire breather player so it's like you know i agree with you but I, i'm just where being wary of the term right right no it's it's a loaded term but that you know maybe the title of the piece aggression is a better part of it you know and i wonder if that's ever you know if that's ever f- something you feel like you have to wrestle with sort of you know an instrument that wants to be more aggressive than you want to be or something that you feel like I haven't met a trumpet that wants to be more aggressive than me. I think that's why we get along so well. (laughs) This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore and NPR. Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts at wypr.org slash podcastcentral. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to essentialpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.